Hey everyone, in this AB Talks with Maz Jobrani, we talk about him behind the comedy as a human being and we hear his stories. I hope you enjoy this chapter. Hey Maz. Hey Anas. So, how are you really doing? I'm really doing good, man. Tired. Mm. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to complain about being tired given the whole year we've had of lockdown. Um, it's nice to be back doing the shows. I'm at an age now where I feel uh, early in your career, it was always exciting to go all the, all the new places and the sort. But as you keep going and going, your traveling is tougher. It's harder because you're away from your family and the hours and the adjustments and just living in a hotel room and all that stuff. It becomes tougher. But being on stage still is a... Uh, it's a blessing, man. Mm. Yeah, you're alive on stage. And I guess it's, it's worth those little struggles the moment then finally you're on stage. Yeah, obviously. I mean, listen, again, I, I always tell people, I go, you gotta, first of all, if you're lucky enough to found your passion, you're already one in this life. If you're lucky enough to find your passion and do it, next level. If you're able to find your passion, do it and be successful at it, you know, you've won the lottery. So. I, you know, all the, the struggles that we talk about, I mean, the struggles is like, you know, on your way to the airport to go travel wherever you're traveling, you see people digging ditches or working under the sun or whatever, and you go, well, I'm pretty blessed. Even something as simple as I was with uh, my uh, friend today, my manager, and we were walking through the, the mall, the Dubai mall, and there was a security guard, he was just standing there. And we asked him, you know, how do we go here and there? And he seemed kind of tired. He said, you got to go that way and go this way. And I said, this guy's exhausted. I go, man, I go, that would suck to have to stand there. Because I've had jobs before. We had to stand in one place. Yeah. So I couldn't imagine you stand there for eight hours. Just people asking, where you got to, where's, where's such and such? Story? It's that way. Where's this? Story? It's that way. For eight hours, your legs are getting tired. You're just pointing in directions. So I was like, hey, man, we're lucky. We're lucky to do what we do. You know, on this specific point, Maz, um, I was actually thinking about the same thing. I remember going to some store or something and I said the same comment played in my head and I'm like, imagine having to do that the whole day. But I also realized that human beings adapt greatly. And until you try something else, you don't know if you're in a bad spot. It's kind right. of like being in economy class all your life and then you try business and you're like, oh, <laughs> I'm not going back to economy. Yeah, but but I think when you're in business class and you look back in economy and you go, oh, geez, you know, like, okay, so my chair doesn't go all the way back, whatever. Yeah. This poor guy, he's like eating whatever f flies or whatever he's got to do in the back, right? So it's, it's, again, counting your blessings, appreciating what you have, you so, know? I mean, even this past year, the, the lockdown and everyone's at home and I kept telling my kids, I said, we're so lucky to be able to, have a home, be in a home, because we heard of stories of people losing homes. We heard people of, I and mean, we'd bike around town with my kids just to, you know, get them out of the house. And we'd see people parked in their cars on the side of the road. Clearly they were, you know, they had clothes and stuff in there. So I'm going, wow, this person is living out of their cars. Hmm. So I've always been that guy. I've always been the guy who will look at the front page of the news and say, look at all of the things people are going through and just remind myself how lucky I am um, to have what I have. Hmm. And would you say, Maz, you are in that, in this moment in your life, that's how you're doing? That's how you're feeling? 
I think I've always felt that way, you know. I'm not to say, not, not to say just because you're lucky in life, you shouldn't have problems or worries or difficulties. We all have that, right? Everybody wakes up one day and they're, you know, one day you wake up and you go, oh, the best day ever. And the next day you wake up and you're like, oh, God, I got to go do this, whatever, whatever it is. I got to go to the hardware store, whatever you got to do. I don't know. Um, we, no matter how rich or poor or successful or unsuccessful you are, we all are human beings and we go up and down. So not to say you shouldn't have worries or um, concerns and not to say you don't have difficulties in your life. But I will say again, whenever I can, I remind myself of, hey, you know, whatever, whatever that thing is, you know, even if it comes to like, you know, something like exercise. Sometimes I'm lazy, I don't want to exercise. And I go, look, you know, you got the ability to go out and do something good for yourself, go do it. Hmm. You know, there are people who don't have that ability. Yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah, I've always, I, I, again, I'm that way now. I was that way 20 years ago. I was that way, whatever, since I was a kid. Okay. How would you describe yourself? I would describe myself as uh, pretty easygoing overall. Um, I would describe myself as tending to be nice, tending to be, I, I tend to be someone who uh, uh, sympathizes with people a lot. Hmm. Um, I don't know if it's sympathize or empathize. I, I tend to, uh, you know, feel for people. Like I find myself a lot of times, and you know, people say, I, you know, my wife said, you know, you're, you're a people pleaser, right? And that's what we do. We're comedians. We want people to laugh. We want to please you. But it goes beyond that, like sometimes, and I don't know if this is a, a, a um, I don't know if I've got some sort of like obsession with like cleaning my inbox, but I answer, like people message me on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and they'll say, hey, can you do whatever? Send a video for somebody, and I'm like, oh, okay, sure, and I just, hey, I send it, you know, and then, and then they'll email me back and go, Oh my God, I emailed a thousand people. You're the only person who responded. And I'm like, am I the idiot? Like, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't respond. I got one guy right now on my Instagram. He won't leave me alone. He's having a conversation with himself. Like, he keeps sending. Because <laughs> yeah. I said hi. I've had some of those. Yeah, he said, he said something hi. I said hi. And then he's like, oh my God, this is you. He keeps writing. And I'm like, oh, I try to ignore after a while. He's like, what happened? Why are you talking to me? And I go, hey, buddy, I'm pretty busy. Then he gets to give me 20 more messages and I'm like, now I feel guilty. I'm like, I'm ignoring this guy. Mm. But that's the person that I am. Like I tell other friends or comedians about this stuff. They're like, what are you, an idiot? Like just, you're not supposed to respond to these people. Mm. Um, but I can't help myself. Well, you just have to be you, man. Yeah, yeah. So you're a very selfless person, you'd say. I would say I'm pretty selfless. Yeah. Mm. I, I, or, or at least I strive to be. You know, I would hope to be if I'm in a situation where uh, an opportunity presents itself. Truth is, anybody that knows me, I'm constantly like trying to, even on social media, be involved in people's causes or whatever. Like everybody says, oh, we have a fundraiser for this and this. Would you post? Sure, I post. You know, I like, I, yeah, I, I would definitely want to be um, that person. You know, I, I, I always tell this story. When I was a, a kid, when we first moved from Iran to America, we were staying with some friends, uh, my dad's friends, and I was, I don't know, six, seven or something. And uh, this family, they had uh, a son and then they, they had a daughter. The daughter had Down syndrome. Mm. And I remember being at the dinner table one night and she was acting out and just, you know, upsetting her parents. And they sent her to her room. They said, go to your room. And I'll, already I felt bad because she had Down syndrome. And I thought to myself, gosh, like, you know, she's not, um, 
she's, I, I felt bad that she was being disciplined. Because I'm going, God, it's already tough enough for this girl. Now they're sending her to a room. And I remember, I don't know what I did exactly, but I think I remember going to the room and trying to like get her out, you know, like, you know, like help her. And I've always been that person who wants to help people when they're, um, you know, when I feel like I can. Again, it goes back to the beginning of what I said. It's like I always go, you know, I got two arms, two legs. Let me get involved and help, hmm. you know. So you, you brought up the childhood. How was your, your childhood? I had a pretty privileged childhood, although it got tumultuous because looking back on it, I was talking to somebody recently, you know, people from Iran who left Iran at the revolution. So I was born in Iran. When I was six years old, the revolution starts happening. My father's on business in America. He tells my mom, uh, why don't you bring me and my sister, Mariam, bring them to the States while I'm on business, and then hopefully the protest will die down. You guys can go back. But uh, the protest didn't die down. So I always, I always say we packed for two weeks and we stayed for 40 years. Um, but, you know, I was talking to somebody who was saying, you know, anybody who leaves their home like that, now with the Syrians, or you see like with the issues with the Palestinians, or anybody who's turmoil, even though we were privileged, my father was a successful businessman and we were leaving our home and coming to America, but it causes a PTSD, I think. I think it causes a, uh, uh, something where your lives are turned upside down. So whether you as a kid realize it or not, your parents certainly realize it, right? They're, they're, they were living their whole lives knowing one language, having family, friends, everyone together. Suddenly they have to pick up and go to a foreign land where they're trying to establish everything. And, and I remember I was looking at some old clips from back then on, on YouTube. They have clips of news. And I started thinking about what it must have felt like for my parents because I think everybody who left, and this happens a lot too when people flee their country, I think they all think, oh, they're going to go back in a year or two years. It's going to get better, we go back. So I, I was telling my wife, I said, wow, it just hit me for the first time. I said, it's almost like, I said, we were on lockdown for a year. I said, imagine if you were on lockdown for 10 years or 20 years, where they kept saying, it's going to get fine, it's going to get fine, but it didn't. I said, that was my parents. They came from another country, and every year they thought, okay, next year we'll go back, next year we'll go back. And every year they realized they're getting further and further away from their home. So... All of that, I'm sure, affected my parents, and I'm sure in, in a, it affected me somehow. But the memories I have of that time, again, they say kids are very resilient. Mm. So I just remember coming to America and going, oh my God, like we stayed at a, when we first came, we stayed at the Park Plaza Hotel, beautiful hotel. My dad was a successful businessman. We had a suite. My sister and I would order ice cream with you know hot fudge and stuff on it. Nobody cared. Across the street was FAO Schwartz, which is the biggest toy store in the world at that point. You know, we had other kids we're playing with. So I just remember having fun. And by the way, you don't have to go to school, you know, so you're, you're, you're just hanging out. Mm. So in a way, jokingly, I've said, you know, as a kid, I thought, oh, this revolution is working out for me. You know, I hang out with friends, play all day, eat ice cream at night. This is fantastic. Mm. Um, so those were some of the early memories of, of that time. It's um, scary to hear you say that you packed for two weeks. So the mindset is like, I'm, I'm just going there, I'm coming back. Yeah. It's like somebody saying they're leaving your home and they're like, don't worry, I'm going to the supermarket and coming back. And then they just don't. don't. How scary is that? Yeah, it's scary. And it's scary for the people back home. And it's scary for the people who have left, right? Because they don't know. It's an unknown. 
right? So you go back and you reflect on it. You go, wow, I see why my parents had struggles at that point, right? Why they were fighting or, or, or like my, my brother who was left back in Iran, he was my baby brother at that time and then we ended up having another brother uh, in the US. But that brother, he struggled with a lot of uh, um, what I think were uh, abandonment issues because we left him because we thought we were coming back. He was a baby. So we're going to go for two weeks. two weeks, we'd be back. And we weren't back and he was a baby. And so we were able to get him out six months later or whatever it was with like our nanny and my aunt that came. But even those formative months of his life, his mom and dad weren't there, right? And it affected him later in life. Um, so it was definitely, uh, again, for us, for me, the age I was in at the age of six, seven, I was able to make friends and play and kind of be in my own world and adapt to the language fast, hmm. learn the language like that. You know, already we'd been learning English because we went to an international school in Iran. So English, we picked it up pretty fast in the US. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, uh, it, it was volatile times. And it, I'm always interested. I always go back and look at video clips from that time and I go, oh my God, yeah, that happened. Oh yeah, that happened. And then I try to get into my parents' mindset what was going on in their minds, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've, I've heard somebody say back then when Iranians would call from the U.S. to Iran, they were, they were always worried about the government was listening. So this one teacher I had in college was telling us, she said, you had to have secret ways of talking about things. So you'd say like, how's the weather? Yeah. You know, that means how's the government doing? And then they would say, oh, it's very oppressive this week. You know? <laughs> okay, it's an oppressive government still, you know, so. Interesting. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Um, and your relationship with your parents, how was it? My relationship with my parents was interesting. My father was, uh, so I was the, so my sister Mariam was the oldest, then it was me, then it was my brother Kashi and my brother Joey who was born in the U.S. is Arash, but we call him Joey. Um, but being the oldest son for my father was important. So he always kind of put that on me. You're the oldest son. You need to take care of your brothers. Even like look after your sister who's older than you. Keep an eye on her. That, you know, he came from that hmm. patriarchal mentality because he'd been the oldest brother in his family and his father had passed away when he was young. So then my father goes on and becomes a successful businessman um, owns an electric company in Iran, and he became this kind of person who was, uh, I, I, I compare him to uh, the Godfather, where people needed things, they'd come to him, he'd help them with stuff. He was very generous, giving people money, helping people out, you know, always connected. So he put on me always, I, he's like, I raise my brothers and sisters, you need to raise your brothers and keep an eye on your sister, you know, that kind of thing. So I took that on, I became like a father at a young age and I, and it took me a long time to, to let that go because that was on me. So I thought I had to, you know, take care and save them in any issue they got into. Right. But you realize in life, you can't control everything. You know, you realize in life, you got to let it go because it's just out of your power. Right. Um, so with my father, that was my relationship. And my mom, when we were kids, she was the disciplinarian. Um, although she was very involved with us, but she's the one that like, if when I talk about getting beaten as a kid, like my mother would hit us. My dad never hit us, mm. but my mo mom would hit us. And uh, years later, you know, I've become almost like friends with my mom, you know, but back then it was definitely, she was the disciplinarian. And um, 
you know, I mean, looking back again, I, there's things that I appreciate that as a kid I didn't like, you know, like, oh, I've got to go clothes shopping with my mother. I hated it. I was like going to the store. She'd say, try this on, try that on. It would take an hour. I'd be like, oh, God, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and then we always looked up to my dad, you know, generous and like, you know, he was the, the guy giving us the money to go do this, go do that, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, and is it, was it easy for uh, a young Maz to, to move from Iran to America? Like that integration, was it easy for you? Yeah, again, as a young kid, I think you're resilient. And because, because in Iran, we'd already started with this school. So half day was English, half day was Persian. Um, actually, my preschool and kindergarten were all in English. So already I spoke English. And then we come to America. And like you said, you know, we find... You know, my dad had a friend in New York who was Korean. So the Korean guy had a couple of kids. So my sister and I, there's a picture of us in the swimming pool at the Korean's house. You know, we're swimming, we're playing, we're, you know, for us it was easier because we didn't have in our minds, oh, we're going back at a certain point. We mm. were just like, oh, this is an extended vacation. So first we're in New York. Then we go to Reno where my dad's friend was with the, the child who had the Down syndrome. Um, and when we're in Reno, my father, again, was a successful businessman, but also like the gamble. So we're staying at the MGM Grand Hotel and my dad's gambling big money. And to the point where like the owners of the hotel now know him and he's like, maybe we'll buy part of this hotel. Like he was that kind of guy. Always the word we use is large, not large, but large, which is somebody who's just larger than larger life. Than life. And, yeah. You know. And uh, again, as kids, there we are in the MGM Grand Hotel while my dad's off gambling. They're giving us you know, money to go get quarters and play video games all day, right? So it was this extended vacation. So for us, it was pretty fun, you know, um, until probably, uh, I'm guessing, you know, I have vague memories of when the hostage crisis happened mm -hmm. because we were in school and back then in the US, they would bully you if you were Iranian, obviously, because Iranians took Americans hostage in Iran. And we were the Iranians who'd fled Iran to get away from the government who took the Americans hostage. So if you were thinking about it at all, you'd realize that we were opposed to the hostage taking and we were on the side of the Americans in this case. But obviously kids aren't thinking that. They just go, oh, you're an Iranian. It'll call you fucking Iranian. That's what they would do. And, uh, and so I remember, you know, I remember in the third grade, right around the time this hostage crisis happened, I remember I got in a fight with a kid. And I don't know if it was because of the hostage thing or not. I honestly don't know. It's one of the only fights I got in my whole life. I just remember the, the playground bell rang. Everyone went inside and we were still wrestling on the, on the playground until some teacher came in and goes, what are you guys doing? And I don't know what we were doing. And he's like, get in there, clean up and, you know, go inside. That was it. Um, mm. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was my, my early times in the U.S. It's interesting how we, um, we have glimpses of memories, right, mm -hmm. in our mind. And I think I was talking to a friend recently and she was saying how at 36 or 37, she just remembered a moment when she was four. Yeah. That's crazy. She's like, it was ar archived all this time. Yeah. And it was a, like a nice, pleasant moment. Yeah. With her aunt. And she just remembered it now. And I'm like... There's that and there's also the sense of smell that you forget. So I've only gone back to Iran once in the 40 some odd years I left. And, um, and uh, that was in 19... 
end of 1998 going into 1999, the, like the New Year's, around New Year's, my father, you know, when he went to America, he lost a lot of his money in bad real estate investments. So after 10 years or so, he went back to Iran to see if he could do some business and get back some of his money. So while he was there, he, he basically ended up staying there. So in end of 98, going into 99, my brothers, my sister and I, we all went to visit him for two weeks. And in those two weeks, it was interesting because I hadn't been in Iran for, you know, 20 years or so, but I would walk into my aunt's house and I would smell a smell and I was taken back just like that. I said, oh my God, you know, I was right back there when I was four. Like, you know, this is like 20 years later, I'm That's going, crazy. holy moly. So your memories, they're there. It's, it's interesting. I was reading an article that actually proved why the sense of smell is more associated with parts in the brain that is associated with memory. Uh -huh. There's a whole thing on it. Oh, really? So when you said, I'm like, oh, okay, it makes sense, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Maz, you uh, decided, although you have an Iranian background, which is similar to any Asian or Arab background, mm -hmm. to veer into a path that is generally not easily accepted, which is comedy. Yeah. Because they want, me, they want a lawyer, a doctor, yeah, engineer. Yeah. yeah. How was that decision made? That was, you know, again, you, you do things in life, you know, you go forward and you don't think about it. And then when you reflect on it, you go, oh, wow, that was, that was an interesting process. Because when I was maybe 10 years old or so, I saw Eddie Murphy on TV and on Saturday Night Live and all this. And I fell in love with what he's doing. I go, this is funny. I want to be like that. I would see his movies. I would crack up. I would watch Saturday Night Live. I watched comedy shows. I started watching more, more stand up. And oh, my God, these guys are great. Not knowing that this is what I wanted to do but I just loved it. You know, if I could watch something, I'd watch that stuff. And then when I was 12, I did a play in school and um, I, was, I felt really good on stage. I liked being on stage and people would laugh. You'd do something, they'd laugh. And then the director one time was, um, we were, it was a musical. So when you do a musical, they say, whenever you're on stage, you gotta sing. When you're singing, you gotta smile always. So one day I was sick when I went to, um, my uh, my rehearsals, I was, had a cold, but I said, hey, I went to the director. Her name was Shirley Bombright, Miss Bombright. I goes, Miss Bombright, I said, uh, I'm a little sick, but I still showed up. And I'm, I'm by the way, at the point, I'm, a, I'm like one of the background singers and dance. I'm not even one of the main characters. She goes, oh, I'm happy you came. So we're doing the rehearsal. I'm singing, dancing, I'm smiling. She stops the whole rehearsal. Everybody stop, stop, look at him. He's sick, he came, he's singing, he's dancing, he's smiling. You should all learn from him. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm good at this. And so that was the first moment it got in my head. And then I started, the next year I was the lead in the play. Then I would do these plays throughout high school and my parents would come and the teachers would say, you know, he's pretty good at this. He's got what it takes to do it. Mm. And my parents would nod and smile. And then in the car they would say, don't listen to her, she's crazy, you know. So it became a struggle of them kind of talking me out of it and me trying to find a way into it. I read some books about it. I met a few actors here and there and asked them about it. And, and then going into college, I just wasn't mature enough to kind of know what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to maybe get into a theater program, but I wasn't mature enough to really think about it. And I just went to college and then my parents said, you know, you should be a lawyer now, you know, forget all this stuff. So I studied political science thinking I'm going to be a lawyer. And then realized uh, I would, every lawyer I talked to, they say they're miserable. I was like, this isn't good. <laughs> so then my junior year, I study abroad. I go to Italy, I study there. 
Um, and I fell in love with what this one professor was doing. I said, you know what? Maybe I can be a professor because then I can stand in front of a crowd and speak the students. And also I can do something that my parents can say, oh, you know, this is respectful. So I came back to the States and got into a PhD program to become a professor. And then again, while I was there, I was like, God, I don't like this political science stuff, but I do like the theater. So I started doing plays again. Mm. Always alive on stage, always loved doing it. And so drop out of the PhD program. And then I got some odd jobs here and there. Again, afraid to maybe disappoint my parents and afraid to really take a full dive into acting because who knows what's going to happen. So. so when I was 26, I had somebody encourage me because I was trying to save some money and then maybe go after it. And when I was 26, I was talking to this gentleman in this company I was working at and he was in his 60s. And he said, listen, if you really want to do something like this, you got to do it now. Don't wait. And it was a light bulb moment. And I decided I'm going to enroll in some comedy uh, improv classes. And that was my step. I was like, once I enrolled in that, I was like, this is it. So I got in that class and I got into a stand up comedy class. And I just, it was like, it was freeing because it was me realizing you live one life and you got to go for it. And if that means, you know, getting a job at a coffee shop or whatever it is to subsidize your, your passion, then you do it, hmm. you know? And I, and I was, I was a, I was an assistant in an advertising agency. So basically like, um, you know, secretary getting coffee, whatever. So I had friends of mine that were becoming doctors and lawyers at the time. And I was still a receptionist or whatever I was. Um, but I was doing by night what I loved doing, which was to get on that stage. That takes some guts, you know, because our measurement stick in our families uh, of success is to be like you said, like your friends were. Yeah. And I'm sure they'll start comparing. Look at Ahmed, look at yeah. Sara, look at yeah. this guy. And what about you? You know, yeah. you're, you're yeah. doing stand up to 10 people or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's really, it's not yeah, easy, it's, especially when it's coming from close people. Yeah, it's guts, but it's also uh, um, uh, clarity. Hmm. And the clarity is we live once, you live once. And so you can listen to those voices that dominate and don't encourage. And maybe 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you might turn around and say, God, I never tried that thing. And then you're going to resent them. You're going to resent the fact that you didn't try it. And um, you'll never know. But if you try it, you might disappoint these people for a minute. But either you'll succeed and they'll hopefully come around. Or you'll fail, but at least you can go to them and say, hey, at least I tried that. And now I'm going to go your route of whatever, becoming yeah. a lawyer or whatever you want me to become. But oh, by the way, you should never become what they want you to become because it's not their life, it's your life, mm -hmm. right? So even if you failed at that, you should find the next thing that's your passion and go after that. And eventually right. these people that are trying to control you realize, oh, he's uncontrollable. And that's actually a beautiful day too when they go, I can't control him. That's a great freeing moment mm -hmm. when they realize that, that you're not gonna be controlled because, you know, again, you are not here to live your life for your parents. You're here to live your life for you. And if you are able to find that and do that, I feel that brings you more happiness. And then that allows you to bring happiness to those around you. And then if you're really lucky, 
you succeed in what you do and you bring happiness to others. You know, I always look at Muhammad Ali. I, I remember this very well. There was a, uh, Apple, Apple computers had a, an ad. It was called Think Different, mm. where they had all these great thinkers in life. And it was Mahatma Gandhi and Muhammad Ali and Martin Luther King and even Steve Jobs. They were all, they would get a black and white, Albert Einstein, black and white picture of them. And it was, you know, Think Different. And then it had a whole thing about the, the they called them the, he said, uh, the crazy ones. Here's to the crazy ones. Wow. You know, the, the uh, square pegs and the round hole, they don't fit. Um, and the Muhammad Ali one was, he, it was a picture, famous picture of him where he's punching and the guy got the picture from here and it comes up and it was on, I believe it was on La Brea Boulevard going south in Los Angeles as you go south from like sunset down La Brea and there was a big billboard and I was working at the advertising agency at that point and I see this picture and I'd always loved Muhammad Ali since I was a kid in Iran. My father loved sports. I became a fan of Muhammad Ali as a kid. I had all these toys, Muhammad Ali toys. And then when I come to America and I realized what he stood for, my respect went to even higher. Like crazy thing, I was going to wear a Muhammad Ali t-shirt today. I swear yeah, to God. Yeah, there you have it. Well, Muhammad Ali was one of my heroes. And, uh, and uh, he, when I saw that, I go, wow. I go, he, you know, he, he um, affected the world. Hmm. He had an effect on the world, worldwide. He would go places. When he went to fight George Foreman in, uh, what was it like? I forget what it was, uh, not the thrill in Manila. That was Rumble? the Rumble in the Jungle, hmm. right? Was it Zimbabwe? I forget where it was. I don't know, yeah. Wherever it was, you know, he lands in the video when we were kings. It's beautiful. And these people huh. going, Ali, Bumaye, Ali. Yes. I mean, he was that. And I go, I go, God, I want to be like him. Like, I want to be able to affect the world. And then I thought to myself, whoa, 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 you're driving. I was driving. I was an assistant in the ad agency. I was driving a white Volkswagen Golf that I'd bought for like $6,000. No air conditioning. I'm driving this thing. I'm running an errand for my boss. And I was like, slow down. I go, okay, hold on, hold on. Let's first, you got to first take that plunge mm. into what you want to do. The true you. Yeah. Take that plunge. And then if you're lucky enough, you can start affecting your family, then maybe your community, then maybe the world, you know? And so I think when you find your passion and you go for it, that's the first step to that freedom of thought. And it's, um, it's it, a whole weight gets lifted off your shoulders. It's a liberation. Liberation. And, and nobody can tell you any differently. These people that have been affecting you their whole lives, your parents, the effects they've had on you, your relatives, you know, at a certain point as we grow and we, we get older and we mature, we become more independent thinkers. And so whereas when you were a kid, they could say, you know, honey, don't do this, don't do that. And you go, okay, okay. Now you're in your late teens, early 20s, and they're going, what's wrong with you? Why don't you listen to me? And you go, hey, I, I, no, no disrespect, but this is what I love. You know, this is what I'm doing. You know, I think Maz also, I think our approach to our kids, and this is an assumption that we're alike in this, mm -hmm. but I think our approach to our kids will, a bit, will be a bit not as selfish as our parents. And I need to make a, something very clear. I don't think, if we look at the underlying intention yeah. of our parents is care and yeah. they want you to succeed according to their definition of success. Yes, yes. So it's care. Yeah. I'm afraid that if yeah. Maz becomes a comedian, he will not have a stable life. Yeah. Because in their 
life, you can be a comedian and professional, or let's say a footballer and professional. Yeah. So we understand the background, but for us as parents now, yeah. I remember asking my kid recently, and I'm like, ah, Baba, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Just like at lunch. Yeah. And he goes, I think an archer or a carpenter. <laughs> and my first instinct was going to be like, carpenter? Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. But then I'm like, Anas, maybe he'd be the best carpenter. Yeah. Maybe yeah. he'd be an artist with wood. Yeah. I don't know. So you don't I, even, you, I'm you, like, yeah, then yeah. just be the best one. Well, that's the thing, though. I don't even think you need to be the best one. That's I've gotten to the point where I go, you don't even, don't compete. Just be happy at doing it. So if you're happy, if I come to your house and you've got this piece of wood that you've carved, and I'm like, eh, that doesn't look that great, but did it make you happy? Then that's yeah. fantastic. Absolutely. Now it's the the now icing on top is, oh, that made you happy and somehow it made you money, like you said, is or gave you enough money to live off of. Halas. Fantastic. And that's true. Like I always like what I compare it to is like, you know, you're absolutely right. Our parents wanted what was best for us. I I compare it to um, when you're driving a car and there's a person in the passenger seat. You're driving, you feel confident as you take the turns, you're going fast, and the person in the passenger seat keeps putting their hand on the, oh, please, oh, slow down. So that's your parents, and they're saying, slow down. And you're saying, I got this, don't worry about it. That's what the thing is, right? And, and as you said, since these guys were young, I've been telling them, find what you love and just do it, and I'm with you. And it's interesting because my son recently has gotten into Dungeons and Dragons, mm. which he's tried to explain to me a few times. I don't understand it, I don't get it, but he'll spend hours and hours doing it. And recently I just asked him, I was like, Buddy, can I ask you a question? When you guys do this, is it just kind of like passing time or are you guys kind of improvising and creating a world? And he goes, yeah, we create a world as we go. And in my mind, I thought, okay, maybe he'll grow up and be a storyteller or a writer or something. I said, this, this is, you know, I felt good about it, even though, even if it weren't, if it was just for fun, I would still be like, go for it. Um, similarly with my daughter, like she loves to dance, but she's also got this really like, um, uh, uh, inventive mind and so I see the scientist in her like she just creates stuff but she loves to dance and I'm going maybe it'll be dancing maybe it'll be science I don't know I have no idea but yeah we're definitely I think we are, have evolved even these parents that I see it now you know because when I started 23 years ago there were not other Iranian comedians there was a handful of like Arab comics but there, we all started to, there was like three or four of us and there was an Iranian comedian out of, out of London, Omid Jalili, but um, now, even now, I see parents will come to the show, and then afterwards they come over, they go, my son wants to be a comedian, tell him what he has to do. And I'm like, oh wow, it's amazing, they've come so, a long way, they, they, they're open to it. Yeah, uh, I'll add something, when I say, uh, I started saying this recently, um, when I say be the best, I learned to say be the best version of you yeah, yeah, at yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than be the best amongst everybody because yeah. uh, comparing is a very dangerous um, habit yeah. and all human beings do it yeah. and now with social media you do it times a hundred because yeah. you see different lives and you're like I want this, I want to travel, he has the yeah, shoes yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah. And it's so dangerous yeah. because you don't know otherwise, you don't know behind the scenes or between the yeah. lines. So I'm like, listen, you will never compete with a guy who's seven foot or yeah. six five yeah. in basketball. Yeah. But you can be probably for your body yeah. and your physique, you yeah. can be the best version of that. Yeah. Focus on that, your yeah. craft. Yeah. And I've been watching a masterclass of uh, Wayne Gretzky, uh -huh. the hockey player. Yeah. 
And he was saying he was never the strongest, no. never the fastest. Yeah. But he just kept focusing on what he's good at yeah. and he, to really excel in those. And now, look, the guy yeah. has the best history of a hockey yeah. player. Yeah. So I think that's such an important thing to tell our kids, just be the best version of you, Habibi. Not, yeah, and it's, not and it's also about, you know, there's also the mentality of, you know, uh, dedication and putting in the time. Even now with my son, I bring this up a lot with him where, you know, he's, a, he's naturally a good athlete, but as he's getting older, you know, the sports he plays, tennis and soccer, I see these other kids are, you know, excelling more and more. And then sometimes he'll say, oh, this happened, that happened. And I go, well, you know what the solution is. You got to, if you really want to do it, you got to put in more time. Mm -hmm. You know, again, same with my daughter, you know, I, I tell her the same thing. It's like with both of them, even with language, I, I, I wanted them to learn Farsi, but they didn't. But I go, you guys put in the time, you can do it. You know, and I use myself as an example, but it's, but it's just to show them the one thing in my life I think I really put the time into was stand up. Because I tried other, th I, you know, like a lot of kids, you know, you, you try this instrument, that instrument, you try karate, you try this, you try that. And I was always like, a few months, I'm bored of it. A few months, I'm bored of it, you know. But then this was the one where I said, I'm sticking to this. Hmm. And, you know, five, ten times a week, you know, 20 minutes at a time, even when you're like having to wait till two in the morning or you're in a coffee shop, wherever you are, you're not discouraged because you found your thing. And that's again, that's another reason why if they have a passion, you say do that because they'll spend hours and hours carving, being a carpenter because they love it. You know, so, I, I'm horrible at art. You know, you give me artwork and you go do this art. Five minutes in, I'm going to be like, I'm just going to draw a stick figure and get out of here. Mm. But there's artists that'll sit there for, you know, hours and hours just going at it. Because that's when you find something you're passionate about. Time is irrelevant anymore. Time's irrelevant. And it's also, I think it's a hypnotic thing. It's, a, it's almost a religious thing because you're going through a, you're, you're kind of in touch with whatever power it is. You know what I'm saying? Your mind is working in a subconscious way. Um... For me, sometimes when being on stage, you feel that, you know, you're just on stage, you're alive, you're in the moment, you're talking to this guy. You're saying things you didn't think about, right? Yeah. It's just coming out, you know? Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty cool. I've been running lately more. I, I've been jogging. I find that sometimes in that too, you're just in the moment. I mean, listen to a podcast or something when I run, but you're in the moment, you're telling yourself, okay, I'm just going to get to that next block. You get to the next block, then you go to the next block, and you're mm. here. It's meditative, you know? I agree. Yeah. Why do you do what you do? Why do I do what I do? I don't know. You know, it's interesting. This past year with the lockdown, it was interesting because, obviously, financially, all live performers took a hit. Um, but we also realized we're not only doing it to make money. Um, we do it like, like a day or two into it. We all, a lot of us at least felt like, oh, I got to do, I got to do something. And so we were doing Instagram live shows, you know, and then we're doing zoom shows and we're doing, and there's something to it. I don't know. I don't know if it's the acceptance or I don't know if it's like maybe laughter helps me deal with things. You know, I mean, it was fun to laugh. It was actually a lot of fun doing some of these zoom shows and complaining about the lockdown and what we were all going through. Right. Not necessarily saying like, oh, you know, this is this is a conspiracy or anything, but just like being like, 
how much longer is this thing going to take or whatever we're saying but to have people laugh with you when you're doing that it's there's a certain level of um, you know therapy that comes with it there's a certain level of release that comes with it mm. um so yeah i don't know i felt like i had to keep going i know some comedians who said oh, i'm not doing anything i'm not doing online i'm not doing outdoors i'm not me i was like i'm doing all of it you got an outdoor show i'm coming you got a drive-in show i want to do it part of it too in my mind was i want to be able to come out of the this the lockdown and say i tried drive-in shows where, where people were there in cars and i was on a stage i tried outdoor shows in the cold where people were under blankets I tried Zoom shows. I wanted to be able to say I tried all of it just to have the experience, hmm. you know? No, because I was connecting you to the guy or the kid who was on a dinner table and then he saw the, the, the girl go up to her room yeah. and he wanted to, to do something about it because yeah. he thought maybe I can do something to relieve yeah. or lessen, uh, lighten up the situation. And yeah. I think that connects to the Maz to where he's, what he's doing now? Well, definitely my, um, the, the social justice side of me is that, like the side that ends up on Twitter a lot, where people say, this isn't funny, why aren't you being funny? I go, because, you know, there's injustice in the world, we need to talk about it. So that part is definitely the same guy who went to try and free the girl when her parents locked her in her room. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and yeah, listen, if you can get your points across with comedy, you know, Bingo. then, then that's, a, I mean, that's my favorite. That's, I, I watch Stephen Colbert's monologues every night because I enjoy it. I watch, uh, um, uh, what's his name, um, uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. I love, I love political, you know, comedy. So if you can get your point across with politics, then, yeah, and that, that definitely has part of my, part of the reason why I do it. But I think I do, but, but really, when people ask me like, what's your goal in comedy? I go, number one thing is to make them laugh. So really, you just want, you just want that laughter. Because when they laugh, you're going, okay, that, that was, what I said was funny. So that's, that, that basically um, uh, um, reiterates to you that, oh, I tickled them, I got them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's like when you come up with a new joke that works, it's one of the best feelings in the world. You're like, oh my God, I love that, you know? Nice. Or if you do it in front of a new audience, or you do it like, like just a couple of weeks ago, I was at the comedy store and then the Laugh Factory, and just, it was a night, I just was, the first, sh- I did three shows that night. The first show was some big benefit and the crowd was very homogenous and it felt like eh, they didn't quite get me. And, and it was and, and, and it was a crowd though that I think expe- like they were a home like they were they were fans mm. they wanted to they wanted to laugh at my stuff but my stuff that I was doing maybe didn't connect with them as much and so I left that venue going all right that didn't quite go the way I wanted it to go so the next show I did I just was it was my home court I was on the comedy store and I was had a good time and you could feel it like from the beginning the first few things I said they were really laughing with me and clapping at points that I wasn't even expecting. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going, oh, this is great. And then by that point, the third show, I was just super loose and I just had a good time. And so those are, that, that you just, you know, it's a high. It really gives you a high. You really feel excited when that happens. Very nice. Um, personal question. Mm-hmm. 
I want to know how was it, and considering what you said about your dad, mm -hmm. how your dad brought you up to be kind of like the father or the elder brother. Mm -hmm. How was it as a brother mm -hmm. managing the cancer of your sister oh, and yeah, see, yeah. seeing that? That was probably the toughest thing in my life. You know, that was, that was something that, because again, I didn't try to manage it because my sister was a strong person. Um, and uh, she, I, I was just trying to be there as much as I could. It's interesting because we, I, we just lost another friend to, to breast cancer. My, I lost my sister to breast cancer and, and this friend as well. You know, she, when people, when people get cancer, they, or anything, I suppose, they research it, they go deep, and they say, I got to do this, 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 and this. And so I've always been, I've never been a very detail-oriented person, so I would always just tell her, like, I'm with you, whatever you need, I'm with you. Let's go. Mm. Just tell me what I got to do. I don't understand a lot of the language. I'm not medically-minded to be able to say, you should do this, this, here's a treatment. Uh, you know, I just said, I trust what you do. And then I also have some, because I used to uh, be part of this uh, organization called the Persian American Cancer Institute, where they uh, tried to help cancer patients. So the lady who started it had gone through breast cancer. So when my sister first got breast cancer, the first call I made was to that lady. I said, listen, this is my sister. It's the closest person to me in my life. Can you help her in any way? And she said, yes, of course. I'm going to contact this doctor, that doctor, that. So I thought, oh my God, we're in good hands. And you don't think it's going to happen to you. You think, okay, we're going to get through this because yeah. we have the best people behind this. It's going to be fine. We're going to get through it. But you realize it doesn't mean anything. You know, Steve Jobs probably had the most amazing things accessible to him and he dies from cancer, right? So um, yeah, it was, it was not something that I tried to manage. It was just like, I'm with you. Let's go. I've got these people that can help us out some. Um, and then as you go through it with her, you know, she has, it gets good and it gets bad. It gets good and it gets bad, you know, so she goes through the chemo and all that stuff and, and, uh, and comes out and you go, okay, so we're out of the woods, right? And it's good for a few years. And then she is told, oh, we just found a little spot like and you know, your liver or wherever it was. And at that point, I tried to be even more involved and because she, she was really upset about that because when that happened, the doctor that she had was very um, kind of, you know, she was very uh, matter of fact with her. She said, look, this is a bad sign. You know, this means like you don't have, you know, you have a few years to live basically. So then we went looking for another doctor to, to get a second opinion. And that doctor said, look, People have had what you have and lived 20 years. And he goes, so I don't know, maybe you'll walk out of here and get hit by a car. Who am I to tell you how many years you got? And that really brightened us up, both of us. We said, oh, this is, you know, she's, he's right. You're going to eat right, you're going to do this right, do that right, and you're going to get through it. And for a while, she was able to, you know, she was able to find the right diet and she was, she, all of the markers were coming down and we thought, wow, she's really doing it. And then when it came back in 2017, it kind of came back with a vengeance. And it was like from January or February or whenever that was when she started kind of getting a little upset stomach, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it took, you know, four or five months later and she, you know, she was she'd left us. And I, again, another friend of ours just went through a similar thing. And the friend, what was interesting, because you second guess yourself, right? So my sister, 
had, there was a, a medication called tamoxifen that they say, you got to take this to help keep the cancer at bay. And that was a pill that also causes a lot of side effects. A lot of women talk about it gives, um, I, I think it causes early menopause symptoms and you know, they can't sleep at night, all this stuff. So my sister really hated that pill. And she said, this pill is making me miserable. I want to stop taking it. And I said, listen, whatever you want, I'm with you. Whatever decision you make, I'm with you. Whether that means I, I'd rather have you be happy and live less than be miserable and live longer. I said that not knowing that, that, that she was going to live less. Um, and then towards the end, we thought, oh my God, maybe if she'd taken the tamoxifen, that would have prolonged her life. But then this other friend of ours who passed away, I believe, took the tamoxifen. So you can't second guess yourself in these things. It's just really what ends up happening is when these things happen, when you have somebody that close to you, that good of a human being, like, you know, objectively speaking, she was a good human being. When you have somebody like that, you know, die from a thing like this, it makes me angry at any force that's in the universe and also makes me lose faith in whatever forces in the universe because I go, how could, how could there be a universe that takes somebody like that? Mm. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. yeah. I know that she, uh, she did a documentary. I, I caught this, the trailer. Yeah. I'm really curious to watch the whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing, I thought, I was very proud of what she did with that documentary. She was a documentary filmmaker with um, her, basically, like, fiancé, um, his name's Kenny, Kenny Krause, who is another angel in our lives, and he continues to post, every day he posts something, it's called Everything Must Change, so on the Instagram page, he always posts a picture of her, and it's something that I admire that he does, and I sometimes get, you know, emotional seeing those pictures but you know more power to him if anything i mean he he and she were in each other's lives every day so um they had made a documentary a while back uh about uh bolivian female wrestlers they went to bolivia uh they read an article in the new york times and went down to bolivia and filmed this thing about these female bolivian wrestlers it's called the fighting fighting cholitas and uh, it won an award at the uh, Sundance Film Festival. And then they were, they were always doing documentaries, documentaries. And then once she started going through this, they started filming her and they put it together. And when I watch it, it's interesting because she got a lot of old footage from my family and she put it in there, footage I hadn't seen in a while. And I was like, oh, my God. And I thought she did a great job of telling the story. And uh, the only downside of the film is, you know, when they filmed it, she was going towards recovery. So it was going to end with us with a happy ending going, hey, you know, she's still with us. But then unfortunately, as it was getting ready to come out, the situation got worse and the ending ended badly. Oh, God rest her soul. Thanks, man. Um, a tangent question. Do you face depression as a comedian? personality, not as a comedian, I mean job, but as the character of a comedian? I don't think, I personally have never faced depression. You know, there are, obviously there's days where you wake up, you're like, oh God, you know, whatever that is, like, you know, you're just not in the mood to do whatever it is. Um, but I think just um, chemically I'm wired differently that I, again, I find the positive. Like, I, I, it's almost like I'm kicking myself in the ass going like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about? Just get up and go, you know? Mm. And, and there's things that, by the way, in life there are things 
that will bring you that moment of um, uh, um, acknowledgement of like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be fine. So whether it's your kids, again, like you, you might be in a mood where you're like, oh God, I just, I just wanna hang, I, just, I don't wanna even get out of bed. And then like your daughter comes in, she's like doing a cartwheel or something. You're like, all right, let's go, you know. <laughs> or now we have a dog, this dog, forget it. They starts licking your face. You're like, okay, let's go, let's go for a walk. So I've never, you know, comedians there, I have friend, comedian friends who've battled with depression and we've lost yeah. comedians friends, uh, you know, uh, who there was a guy named Brody Stevens who uh, took his own life. Robin you know? Williams. Also. Robin Williams. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's a, it's a real thing, you know, and I think those, some of the most brilliant ones, like they go high and then they go down, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I ask it because I always uh, fear that the people pleasing character of a comedian right. comes at the price of their own right. health or mental health or happiness sometimes. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I've been able to have a pretty good grasp on the amount of weight I give on that, on that um, um, approval from others. So obviously you want approval from others, right? You want the good stuff, but, but uh, I, I said, I think early on I realized, again, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a, um, um, a, a, a result of performing so much, but when you're gonna do two, three, sometimes four shows in one night, you're gonna have good shows, you're gonna have bad shows, and you learn early on. If I put weight on every show, I'm gonna jump off a building because you know I'm gonna do one show you know, I would I'd do one show and I th- it was, went great and I'd walk off stage and say, I'm the new rock star of comedy. i go down the street, do a show, just horrible death, nobody laughed. And I'm like, oh, why, why am I in this business? <laughs> so if you put too much weight on either one of those, you're gone. But if you realize, oh, there will be tomorrow. Yeah. And you just keep going, you know, um, especially now with social media, you know, you do, you have a bad show and they're, writing you on the, you know, on your social media. That was the worst show I ever saw. And you're like, oh God, you know. But then you start, again, you start going like, dude, I did my best. I don't know what to tell you, you know. Yeah. Um, and you go, there's the next city and the next. So I, I, I've been pretty good at reminding myself not to put too much weight on either side, not the accolades and not the criticisms. You Very know? wise. You can't, I mean, that's just what it is. You can't, when you realize you can't please everybody, a lot of it comes from logic, right? You go, because unfortunately, again, the friends I do have who fall victim to this are the ones who, I've had you know, comedians come off stage and be like, man, and by the way, all I hear is laughter. They kill. Come off stage, they're like, there was one guy in the front, he would not laugh, that piece of shit, and they're losing their minds. They go, what's wrong with you, dude? It, was, it sounded great. That one guy, and they're losing their, and I'm going, and, I, and I, you realize, they go, oh my God, that guy represents their father who was critical of them when they were a kid. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I've, I've told comedian friends of mine, I go, that's your dad, like, let it go. By the way, like, your dad was not perfect. Your dad was, you know, uh, uh, had his own faults. And so you can't listen to him. Like, you know what I'm saying? So similarly, when I sit there, like Jerry Seinfeld said it well when he was when, in his documentary Seinfeld. He said, you know, it's funny, you know, we, you know, we do, we're professionals and we come here every night and we expect you, amateurs, to tell us what's funny, you know? And it was funny that he said it that way, because you go, 
he's totally right. Like, yeah. you don't know anything about comedy. I'm the one who, I've been doing this for 20 years, you know? Um, so again, there's a certain level you got to get to in your mind where you go, I don't, I don't care. I care, but I don't care. Not too much, yes. I don't yeah, care, I care too much. Yeah, I care. I want you to laugh. But if you don't laugh, I, I don't know what the cause. There could be a million causes. Huh? And, I, and I can't put that on me. I can't say, oh my God, I ruined your night. Because maybe your night was ruined. Maybe it's the way you look at it. I mean, I just the show I did the other night. I've had people message me and say, because during the show, people kept going to the bathroom. And the bathroom was right in front of the stage. <laughs> I, I mean, it was to get to the bathroom. They go past the stage. And as a comedian, I can't help myself. I got to acknowledge when someone's walking past the front, you know, and usually you think it's going to happen maybe three times during the show, right? And then you do once, twice, three. This time it was like, I mean, it was like a piss fest. I mean, I don't know what was going on, but it was like 15, 20 people kept coming and going. And every time they came, I would do, I would riff a new thing with them. And at a certain point, I could tell the audience was getting tired of it. I was getting tired of it. Mm -hmm. But I've had people message me and go, oh my God, that was the most brilliant improv comedy I've ever seen. That was fantastic. Had another guy message me, this is the worst thing ever. I brought my friends. We hate you. We're never coming back. I'm like, I don't know what to do here, man. You know? Yeah. I, I, I call them uh, bipolar feedback. Yeah. Like I literally, sometimes I send it to the team. I'll screen capture after a uh, chapter is released. Somebody will say, man, best interview I've seen in my life. Next one. Yeah. This is shit. Yeah. I don't want to ever. I'm like, literally after yeah. each other. Yeah. Which is the beauty of life, is the yeah. contrast, you know, you can't please them But all. once you see that, that's when you realize you can't let that affect you. Because that's, I've, I've had the exact same thing. I've had back-to-back -back comments, uh, emails sent to me, uh, just like, one, one is like, oh man, the other one's like, oh, okay. You know, so you, you, can't, you, you can't. can't, you can't let it affect you. It's a skill, though. To not let it affect you. You have to learn not to let it affect you. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, you got to do whatever it takes to get there. So if you got to go see a therapist or you got to go do yoga or you got to talk to people and you got to be reminded, it's kind of like, you know, if you're in the moment, it's a, a lot of this, like I'm not, I'm not religious, but like Buddhism, I think, does a good job of being in the moment. Like the, being in the moment is important. Mm. And so being in the moment, like that's what, that's what a dog does for you. That's what your baby does. That's what your kids do because they don't know what kind of, show you had you show up and the kid is you know jumping up and down they don't care and it's like oh my god i just left every worry i had from the drive from the club all the way home and all of a sudden they brought me into the moment you know i got to get in here and dance with my daughter we're doing a just dance or whatever um you, those... said, you said something Maz, earlier when i said um about you choosing your career. I said yeah. courage and he said, Anasis, no, it wasn't really necessarily only courage, it was clarity. Yeah. And I think the moment you're a very clear person on what you should do and what you're really good at, yeah. you're, you're honest. You're yeah. not good or delusionally good, you're yeah. not. Yeah. You're actually good. Yeah, yeah. And you're clear on that, it's yeah. your thing. Yeah. Then somebody says, great, you're like, thanks. Yeah. It was really nice to hear that. And somebody yeah. says, it was shit, you're like, your opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're clear. Exactly. But you have that's, to keep reminding yourself. Yeah, that's true. So it is, you're right. It's like, I don't need you to tell me because I know I'm good. It's funny, I said that one time I was on stage. I said, I was, having a, I was doing a show and it was going really well and I was like, whatever, I was kind of giggling or something. And I said, I'm good at this, you know. <laughs> and then, yeah. and, and, I, and I thought it was funny, but it was true. I felt it. I was like, I'm good. And then a little <laughs> I'm while. I'm laughing because yeah. sometimes I say a joke and I laugh myself. Yeah, no, it was good. And I was, I was happy about it. And then, and then I was watching Chappelle. 
uh, in his special and at one point he goes, I'm really good at this. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I was like, I guess a lot of us, when once we've put in the time and we got to that point in our careers, I mean, he's obviously ahead of me in his career where, where he's been at it even longer and he's the top comic. But I'm sure there's a lot of us, myself, others who've doing the, been doing this 10, 15 years, 20 years, who, you know, you go on that stage, like, I feel like I could go on stage anywhere and I could figure it out. I, I'll fit, you know, just, you And know. it's confidence. It's not arrogance when you hear yeah. it. Because it's pure, like, you're at peace with what you are. Yeah. And you know you're good, khalas. Yeah. You proved it to yourself. And also you've done, you know, it's like anything, you know. Again, that's why I tell my kids, I go, put in the time. If you want to get better at it, put in the time. So, you know, I have friends who are surgeons. That guy spent years learning that thing and he does it. I have friends who are really good at negotiating. You know, and for me, that thing is stand-up comedy, getting on a stage. So mm-hmm. even if I'm like in a in a foreign environment, and I'm following somebody who's, you know, just a killer, I still go. I'm, I can. I'm going to find this. I got it. You know, I'm mm-hmm. good enough. It's like you know, I don't, I don't know, but sometimes people would be like, I, I used to go. Soccer was my sport. Okay. Uh, yeah. Or 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 uh, or even if like pick up basketball or whatever. But when I go to like a pickup soccer game, I see these guys playing, and I'd be like, I can play with these guys. Now, they might be faster, they might be younger, they might be whatever. But I have played long enough that I know that I can you know hang with them. Mm. It's a similar thing now with stand up. It's like yeah. I can hang with whoever's there, and probably yeah. my stand up is better than my soccer ever was. Mm. You know. Um, what does love mean to you? does love mean oh gosh um you know when my sister passed uh i actually saw a therapist a little bit and i was telling her how hard it was because it really was the toughest thing i also lost my brother you know before that so i've, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, I've had two losses and and that was a tough loss um but how, he, how did you lose your brother? he had he had addiction issues and uh he was the one that we'd left in iran that that ended oh, up yes, yeah. you mentioned yeah so he the problem with him was he had been struggling for so long with the addiction so it still hurt when i lost him but in a in a way i was able to justify it like in my own head and go well now he's at peace he's not dealing with this world that was you know pushing him down when my sister passed away she had a lust for life she didn't you know she wasn't you know struggling with life in any way she was she wanted to live you know um, not to say he didn't want to live. I'm just saying that he had such a struggle for so long that it was almost logically you were able to help explain it. With her, it was harder. And so when I went to see this therapist, she said, I told her like how empty I felt. And she said, you know, you know, you, that shows that you have a lot of love and that you had a lot of love for her. And there's this emptiness now and like you know and and she was encouraging me to like you know appreciate it's good that you have that love you know um and i think i you know it's funny sometimes i say i tell people like even friends i go i love you man you know whatever and i truly think i do like even though i might not call you every day and i might not want to like hang out with you all the time but when i see you it's like hey man you know and 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 there's a positivity that comes with it there's a a way somebody makes you feel that's a good feeling, you know? Um, so that's all part of what love is. Uh, it's, uh, it just, it, 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 I think it, 
it gives, I'm, I'm trying to define it. It's like feeling, helps you feel more alive. You feel more alive when you see these people, whoever they are, and they give love to you, you know. And, 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 and again, kids are easy to point out with that, you know, with like they make you feel alive, you know. And the love you have for your wife is a different kind of love, which is a longer love, you know. It's, a, um, it's, it's at, at first it's just that like lust love. But then once you get in together, you know, there's many times where we just like look at each other and I'll say like, you know, I love you or, or like you look beautiful or whatever it is. It's like a reminder of, um, of what you've built together and what you have together, mm. you know. Um, I think that's, that's kind of my mm. long term, long nice definition. One. Yeah. It seems like you really enjoy being a dad. I love being a dad. I love being a dad, you know. Uh, it's and by by the way, this past year was an interesting year because um, I keep pointing this out. Uh, I, I heard this uh, uh, psychologist or psychiatrist. He was a doctor, UCSF. He he was breaking down the difference between happiness and pleasure. Hmm. He was talking about how pleasure is something that is even in the definition of happiness. When you look at the definition, it says blah 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 pleasure. But he said they're different. Where pleasure is like you know. And whether it's alcohol or it's gambling it's temporary. or it's yeah it's temporary it's a dopamine thing and you get it and then and then it's you gone. need it again it's gone you need it you need, and then you need more 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 and it leads to addictions or what have you and then you're talking about the serotonin that comes with happiness and it builds and it's a it's a it's a deeper thing and so it helped me it helped me kind of reflect on the year and being able to be home and you know watch movies with my wife and kids at the end of the night or, um, um, you know, go on bike rides with the kids or now with the dog, just going for walks with the dog or going for walks with my wife or going for those runs. Those are all like, you know, they've been, they've been deepening the happiness, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I, I do like the, the being a parent. I do like being a husband. Um, I do like having a dog. Those are all, it's all good things, man. It is, man. I'm you know, happy I don't, for you. I don't in any way go like, I, I, sometimes I sit there and I go, I don't, like I was, I was, I think I, I was telling my wife, I was like, I can't imagine, even the responsibilities that come with it, it adds to giving you life. Because mm-hmm. when you don't have, when you're young, you don't have responsibilities, that's fine, early 20s. But as you get older and older, like you keep going through the same things. And if you don't have, a family or a dog or something that help with that you know to to put energy towards. I could I I could see sometimes how that could that could be depressing. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Favorite color? Orange. Th- three reasons why. Gosh, I think it's uh, well. Number one reason why orange is my favorite color was in Iran when I was a kid. They had. Uh, uh, Canada Dry, the ginger ale company, yeah. had an orange flavored soda like Fanta. Mm-hmm. And in Iran, I loved that that Canada Dry. So we would mm. used to drink the orange soda. Yeah. And so that became my favorite color. Mm. Um, then I remember when I came to the States, when I first came to the U.S., and we were just hanging out at that hotel. My mom took me shopping, and there was a Snoopy, there was a Snoopy uh, scarf, gloves, hat. Mm. Well, it was orange and I bought that and I was like this is the best thing ever so yeah. orange was uh, from the Canada Dry secondly it's just a bright fun color that I, I like mm. um, and uh, thirdly what's not to like about orange I mean come on it's a, it's a great color 
Okay. <laughs> it's the first orange we get, by the way. Yeah. Um, favorite animal and three reasons why. Favorite animal? Well, I mean, it was not a dog, but now I'm going to have to go with my Labradoodle. I mean, Golden Doodle. Sorry. You don't I think of him. Yeah. Think of, of the genre. Which, yeah. which well, animal? I used to say, I used to say before I had a dog, I used to say like monkey or something because they just like, they seem smart. They seem fun. They're funny. You know, mm. um, I always thought monkeys were that. Now, again, having a dog, I've really taken a liking to dogs. dogs. I mean, it's like they're, they're smart. I mean, I just sometimes the just seeing her sit there like in that. You're in love. Huh? For sure. Well, no, it's funny. She's, in she's, in her, she's in her seated position. You're eating. It's, it's just funny. Like you're eating and they're just staring at you. She's staring at you. I'm like, <laughs> what are you, Cujo? Like, what are you doing? She's just sitting there. It's just funny. They're adorable. Yeah. You know, you see them and she, she like lay down on her back for you to scratch her belly. So dogs are pretty amazing, man. So you said smart they are what else the dogs why dogs um uh, again fun mm. definitely fun and 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 i think they're uh like they're uh, I'll, I'll use the word healing mm. or or regenerative in that in similar to what we we're talking about you know they they help you they 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 bring you levity they bring you i mean they, they're so every time you come through the door it's like fred flintstone with dino when he would knock him over it's like that. There's, there's loving, yeah. just just right away, and it makes you feel, you know, it it renews whatever whatever problems you had before yeah. you walked in the house. You're like, okay, you know, go ahead, lick me, you know, okay, fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So the color is a reflection of how you see yourself. Yeah. So he said that who who wouldn't like orange? It's it's like a reminiscing factor of your childhood with yeah. the Canada Dry. Yeah. And uh, you said, I think you said bright? I don't know. I think it's said bright, yeah, 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 yeah. Bright and fun. And the animal is an ideal partner. Ah. So smart, uh -huh. uh, like you said, cute. Yeah. And you said um, it brings, you know, joy and good energy. So I'm going to tell my wife, I said, You're, you yeah. need to lay so down on your back and let me rub your belly. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you afraid of? Gosh, what am I afraid of? I, I try not to think too much about that um, because I think I want to, I don't want to be uh, hampered by that. You know what I'm saying? Like in terms of, I don't go through my daily life going, oh my God, worry about this, worry about that. You know, um, you know, obviously you're worried about, you worry about anything ever happening to your kids, right? You know, again, God forbid, you know, so that's, especially having lost close relatives that's somewhere in your mind right but even that i try not to like think about even like again bringing it back to the dog you know a friend of mine was asking is like well you know aren't you aren't you worried that like you know 10 years from now she's gonna die or whatever because dogs die fast and i was like no i'm trying to enjoy now i'm not thinking about 10 years from now when the dog dies yeah. so i'm enjoying yeah, it you don't know? spoil it yeah so so no i i try I, I don't i don't know what else i might be afraid of um I mean, we just got through a pandemic or we're getting through a pandemic. Um, I don't think I worry about or I'm not afraid of like finances. I, I honestly, I don't, I don't know if I have any fears that are like there all the time, mm. you know? Yeah, you have the default ones. Yeah, the default ones, but I don't, I don't have, I have to really think deep. We'd have to do 10 of these sessions <laughs> before, uh, before I figure that okay. one out. Uh, best moment in your life. 
gosh, best moment. I mean, there's so many best moments. And that goes back to my orange feeling. You know, I'm an, I'm an orange person. You know, it's like I can't have one best moment. Oh, no. There's, there's a one. lot of best moments. I mean, obviously, the birth of your kids, those are amazing moments. And I was there watching them. Thank God, you know, going back to what we said, it's like the, the generations have changed, right? Back in the day, the dad didn't have to necessarily be there. My dad wasn't there when I was born. He was actually helping my uncle who had an illness. Um, but which again, that, that was never an issue with me because I always, there's a story he tells because supposedly since I was his first son, his, uh, friend called to tell him and my dad was in London with my, my mom's brother, uncle who actually ended up passing away as well, but he had, um, kidney problems. My dad was trying to help him and supposedly his friend calls and his friend at the time who called my dad was uh like i don't know a, a major in the army or some some high level mm. military guy and he says to my dad uh you're you know you have a son and my dad says to him take his balls put his balls on your shoulders and consider yourself a general <laughs> you know uh and he said that in the turkish language because he was from northern iran tabriz mm. Um, so I, I actually memorized that line. I, I might mess it up, but, but it goes, I don't speak Turkish, but for some reason, I learned that line. Hmm. Um, and um, uh, what was the question again? I yeah, the, the best moment, and you were talking oh, oh. about you being present. Yeah. So, so he wasn't there when I was born, but I was there when my son was born. I was there when my daughter was born. Um, those are obviously magical moments. Uh, my wedding with my wife was amazing. My uh, manager who's here knows we did a week in Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Mm. That was one of the best weeks. If you, could, if you could pick the best week, that was one of the best weeks of my life. I mean, because nice. we were able to, again, I credit my wife for this, but she said, let's do a destination wedding. So we live in LA, but we went to Zihuatanejo, Mexico, and we were able to have 80 of our closest friends just come down for a full week and we just had the best time. So that was amazing. Um, then there's like life highlights that came with the career. I got to in 2015, I think it was, I got to uh, be at the White House for the Persian New Year, Nowruz, and I got to introduce Michelle Obama. And I was at that, I was at the the podium where the president mm. speaks. I was at that podium and I'm giving a speech to people. I go, give, you know, there's a gentleman, Michelle Obama, and she comes out and we hug. I was like, it was amazing. Nice. Uh, I got to give a commencement speech uh, at UC Berkeley where I graduated, but it was in front of 45,000 people. That was pretty amazing. Those are all career and life highlights. Okay. So on the negative side, worst moment? I mean, my sister for sure. I mean, and then right there with my brother, those two moments, you can't. Mm. You know, those are the worst. I've, I mean, I was there when my father passed away, but his was the, my grandfather was the, my grandfather was the, the first one that we had to deal with that was, that was really heavy. And, but he was in his late nineties, but he was super close to us. That was the first time we dealt with a really close family member who we lost. And he was this, another, like, he was like, he was our Gandhi, Akbar. Akbar Farzana, and he was like, he was the nicest person, and he was, he was somebody who, you know, take blankets from my house and take it to the homeless, and he would do all kinds of stuff. He was, he'd wake up every morning, put on a three-piece suit, and start cleaning the house, and go grocery shopping, just create his own things to do, and he was just years ahead of himself, mm -hmm. as, you know. So losing him was really hard. Then my father, 
mid-70s, he passed away. But he had been struggling with a lot of health issues. So again, in my mind, I was able to logically say, okay, so grandpa was old, you know, lived a full life, and he was only sick like the last month of his life. Dad had, you know, trouble, like health problems. So thank God he's, you know, free from living this life that's a medically uh, a tough life. Brother was struggling, you know, with all those demons. And again, it was a shock. I still remember the moment, you know, when I first got the news. And it was, at that point, the worst news I've ever gotten in my life. And then my sister was, again, that was another one. So those are, I mean, that's a, those are no-brainers in terms of worst moments, hmm. you know. When was the last time you cried? Last time I cried, I'm trying to think. I've gotten emotional a lot lately. I used to get emotional and not cry. And recently I've gotten emotional and not cried, but it was like, I could feel the emotions. Like I, I just saw, um, just the other day, my daughter's teacher sent a video of like a presentation she was giving in the class. And I was getting emotional and then she did something funny and it made me smile and I was like, okay. Um, when my son's soccer team started playing again uh, after COVID lockdown, I was emotional. I was like, oh my God, this is, these kids are free again, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think the last time I cried. I think, oh, probably recently when, when we went to give condolences to our friend's uh, family who passed away. I think it brings back a lot of memories of my sister, you know, and so that, you know, there's a lot of deep stuff that, I probably haven't dealt with, and those emotions come out when I think about her a lot. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Maryam, right? Maryam, yeah. In one word, how would you describe her? Oh God, again, you're asking the impossible. One word, one word is, um, you know, I, 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 I used to say she was, uh, she was the closest person to me, you know, uh, really kind of like my heart. You know, she was, uh, as a person, just generous, beyond generous, um, just, just an amazing human being. I always quote, my, my daughter would tell us, because she was really good with my daughter and my, my son and my nephew, the three of them. And uh, my daughter, you know, they were younger, but they, but when they would go to my sister's house, and you know, we were my my wife is pretty uh, strict with their diets and stuff, you know, sugar, you know, go to sleep at this time, this and that. And then my my sister used to say to them when they would come over, she said, "There, the only rule at my house, the only the only rule is there are no rules." And they loved her. They were like, oh, my God, you know. Mm. And, uh, and it broke their hearts. It broke all our hearts, man. Mm. Yeah. So you say your heart? Yeah. Okay. Final. Uh, Maziar? Yeah. In one word. Oh, gosh. Maziar in one word. Jeez, uh, what is the word? I mean, I always use nice, and that's not the best word, but I'm a pretty nice guy. Yeah. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, um, I try to be selfless. I try to be giving. Um, One word that encompasses you. If mm. it's nice, it's nice. 
Nice, let's go with nice, sure. Good job. Thank you, man. Right on, brother. Appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks, man. How was it? It was great, man. Yeah? Yeah. Very interesting mind. Yeah.